All right, folks, another week and another edition of the Student Section Podcast, where we talk all things college sports. It's week three of our podcast, week 10 of the college football season. Today's Friday, November 4th, 2022, and we drop new episodes every Friday. Always remember that. You can find us on Instagram at Student Section CFB or online at thestudentsection.net. And before we get into the meat of the show here, a couple quick housekeeping things. College basketball starting Monday, November 7th. College basketball will be incorporated into the podcast starting sometime in the next two weeks, so the episodes are going to get a little longer. And today's episode in particular is also going to be very long because we're reacting and analyzing the first college football playoff rankings that came out on Tuesday. And I wanted to point something out as well. We have our college basketball mega preview over on our website, thestudentsection.net, coming out on the weekend. So be on the lookout for that. It'll be up by Monday. And now let's get into the college football playoff rankings. Okay, so on Tuesday, we got the first edition of the college football playoff rankings. And we're going to dive deep into them here. I'm going to cover the entire top 10. And I know a lot of people might be asking why the initial rankings don't matter. And I couldn't disagree more with that statement, quite honestly. I mean, what these initial rankings tell you is who the committee respects, who they don't respect, and what the committee thinks of your overall eight-game, nine-game, seven-game body of work thus far. And that's an extensive body of work to judge a team upon. That's a body of work that could include or exclude you from the four-team playoff. So very important, the the opening rankings. We're going to jump right into it with Tennessee who, in my opinion, this is the first thing that the, the committee got right. This is something I think the AP got terribly wrong. Tennessee is far and away the best team in the country, far and away have the best resume in the country, and I think the AP putting Georgia at one is a crime. Because you look at Tennessee as a whole, best resume in the country, more wins than any other team, more ranked wins than any other team, sorry. They have the best win in the country, defeating Alabama, then undefeated Alabama at home. So to me, how do you not put this team at number one? I don't think the gap between them and number between number two and number three in Tennessee is that big, but to me, Tennessee is far and away has the best resume in the country. So moving on, and I'm going to go quickly here with Ohio State and Georgia at two and three because I do think these are interchangeable. I mean, these are two teams that came into the season with high expectations, have looked really great at times, have not looked really great at times. Once again, interchangeable here. I would have liked to seen Georgia at two just so we had that one versus two matchup this weekend, which we'll get into later. But Ohio State and Georgia, either or, doesn't matter. At number four is where the rankings, this is their first screw up here. Because Clemson is not the fourth best team in the country, not even close. This is a team that doesn't even know who they are. They have no impressive wins. I don't consider a a double overtime win at Wake Forest all that great. They struggled at times against NC State. They, in fact, looked completely lost at times against NC State. And then they struggled against Syracuse. Syracuse almost beat them on their home field. And then when you look at what Notre Dame did to Syracuse the following week, that should be alarming to Clemson fans. The fact that this team almost ended your 37-game home win streak and then got blown out at home by 5-3 and three Notre Dame the very next week doesn't make sense to me. But like I said, Clemson doesn't know who they are. They don't even have a quarterback. They, don't, they haven't settled on a quarterback. And to me... A team with an identity issue does not belong as the number four team in the country, especially with teams like Michigan and Alabama and TCU behind them. Clemson is, they have so much more to figure out before they can even think about winning a playoff game. And that's why I think that number four spot could have really gone to one of three other teams. And the next team we're going to look at here is number five, Michigan. So 
what you can kind of get out of Ohio State being number two and Michigan being number five is that Ohio State doesn't need to beat Michigan, but Michigan needs to beat Ohio State. The committee is not impressed with Michigan's resume thus far. That's why they're number five. Michigan's out-of-conference schedule was very poor, and you could tell that the committee is going to hold that against them until the very end, which they should. But to me, this is a Michigan team that would beat Clemson by 10-plus points on a neutral field right now. Michigan has their identity. They know who they are. They stick to it. They've got a strong defense compared to Clemson's inconsistent defense. They can run the ball. Clemson has had struggles running the ball at times this year. Michigan knows who their quarterback is. Clemson doesn't know who their quarterback is. So to me, Michigan is the number four team. But like I said, Michigan fans should not be upset by this ranking solely because they control their own destiny in getting to the playoffs. It's as simple as win out and you're in. And that's the same thing for our number six team coming up now, which is Alabama. And right off the bat, there is no reason that this team should be higher than TCU. I think six is a fair ranking for Alabama, but I think TCU should be ahead of them when you look at the resumes of the two teams. And Alabama's kind of in the same boat as Michigan, where the path is still there. You can reach the playoff if you win out. So again, the six ranking is nothing to be worried about. Now jumping into, in my opinion, the biggest screw-up of the entire rankings, TCU completely disrespected. I want you to look at TCU's body of work thus far this season and then very closely juxtapose that to that of Clemson. What is the difference between these two schedules? What is the difference between these two bodies of work? I would argue that TCU's is even better. The the bias towards these blue blood teams, towards these established teams is glaring in these rankings and that is why TCU is not in the top four. Or not in the top five, even. And the thing with TCU that I want to touch on as well is they've already played four straight ranked games. They've won four straight. They don't have hardly any more chances to prove themselves. I mean, they have a game at Texas. Big game coming up. But they've already played their toughest battles of the season. They don't really have any more grounds to prove themselves outside of a Big 12 championship game. Which, as long as they win out or even lose one game, they'll be in. But... To me, that's the first screw-up of the community. Now, moving on to a much more positive note, Oregon being at number eight. And this is refreshing to see because it's showing that the committee believes in the Pac-12 and they believe in the Pac-12's chance to get a team to the playoff. They like what they've seen from Oregon thus far, but Oregon will need help if they want to make it, even if they win out. And Bo Nix has quickly become one of the nation's best quarterbacks, and I think that's why the committee respects them so much because they have an identity. They have a quarterback. And... Going off of those Bo Nix's comments about if Oregon played Georgia again, it would be a much different story. I don't necessarily know if they would win, but I'd have to agree with them. I think they'd have a much better shot than the first time around where they lost by 46 points. So to me, I think he's he can say that. He's well backed up in that statement. Anyways, moving on to number nine, USC, and I'm going to kind of reiterate what I said about Oregon. This is showing that the committee believes in the Pac-12. They're competent in the the Pac-12's ability to win big games, to get a team on the biggest stage. So their only loss is to a very good Utah team. They deserve to be at number nine. Now, number 10 is where it gets interesting again, and this will be my final take here, because putting LSU at number 10 sets a very interesting precedent because now you've got five SEC teams in the top 11, and they build this wall behind Tennessee where if Tennessee loses, they're still in it because of all these SEC teams up at the top. But when you look at LSU, they're likely going to pick up their third loss against Alabama this week. There's a good chance. They're the, they're going to be the number 10 team in the country 
with a third loss, how far do you drop them in the rankings after losing a third game? The largest drop in college football playoff rankings history is, I believe, 10 spots. So you're going to have a three-loss TC or LSU team in the top 20 still? I, I And again, I'm not... I'm not um, disrespecting LSU by any stretch of the imagination, but all I'm saying is their ranking at 10 sets a very weird precedent. And I would have liked to see a team like Utah there because I believe Utah has a lot more of an impressive uh, impressive schedule, impressive resume, and they have more impressive wins. So that's all we'll say on the top 10 rankings. And now it's time to get into our student section game of the week. That is number one, Tennessee at number three, Georgia. This one is going to be good. Stick around, folks. Chase McGrath. For the win for the Volunteers. From 40. On the way, a knuckleball. He got it! And here they come. All right, folks, there was no secret here. This is the student section game of the week, and it's probably even the student section game of the year. You've got number one, Tennessee, at number three, Georgia. 3.30 over on CBS, Georgia eight-and-a-half-point favorites, and the total sitting calmly at 66 in this one. So, although the selection committee has robbed us of a one-versus-two game-of-the-century-style matchup, I don't think it takes anything away from the anticipation of this game in the slightest. I mean, the winner of this one is going to remain undefeated, obviously, and they're going to effectively clinch their bid to the SEC championship game. And when you look at the bigger picture, this is our first real elimination game in the race for the college football playoff. As the loser of this one, they could still make it, but they're going to need something cataclysmic to happen at the top of the rankings. So, jumping into some numbers for this one before we get into the real technical side. These are the top two teams nationally in total offense. These two teams can score. Tennessee averaging 553 yards a game. Georgia averaging 530 yards. So, Georgia's last home loss, however, 2019. The location of this game is something that's not being talked about nearly enough. And this absolutely matters. Georgia hasn't lost a home game in three years. This is arguably the biggest game in the history of that building. It's going to be sold out, 90000 plus. Tickets are going for over $600 right now. So I don't think people are talking about the home field. I haven't heard anyone speak of it when talking about the lead-up to this game. Moving on, the last thing I wanted to talk about was the fact that Georgia is 2-9 under Kirby Smart when they allow 30-plus points in a game. You're going to have to score 30-plus points to win this game because you know damn well Tennessee is going to score 30-plus unless your defense just shows out, which I don't think they will. I think Tennessee's offense is far too good. But like I said, definitely a number to keep in mind. Now we're going to jump into the more X's and O's side of things, and we're going to first talk about the Tennessee defense against the Georgia offense. So... Tennessee's defense is currently ranked 127th against the pass, allowing 308 or 300.8 yards per game, sorry. And this is a defense that's going to rely on soft coverages, well-timed blitzes. They're going to give you a lot over the middle and underneath, but they're going to prevent the big play. And that reflects in their stats. I mean, they're allowing 6 yards per attempt. And while that's all well and good, you look at Georgia's best weapon in Brock Bowers, This is a guy who thrives underneath, in the middle of the field, getting under the defense. So Georgia's style of offense and their top weapon plays right in to Tennessee's weakness on defense, and that's going to be a focal point 
of Georgia's game plan, or at least it should be. Now, things aren't all bad for the Tennessee defense because if you look at their performance last week, it was very encouraging. I mean, you know, you beat Kentucky 44-6, you pick Will Levis off three times, and he throws for under 100 yards. Now, this is a Tennessee team that, like I said, they're always going to give up yards. They're giving up basically the most in the country. But this is a team that's going to thrive on the turnovers and the game-changing plays like the pick sixes, the scoop and scores, the whole nine. Tennessee is currently top 10 nationally in turnover margin. They have nine interceptions on the season, and they're averaging over a turnover per game. Insane number. And guys you're going to want to look at to change the tide of this game are going to be guys like Kamal Haddon, Trey Flowers. These are two guys that can shift the momentum at any given moment. They've both got two interceptions on the season, but I don't want to spend too much time on that because I know the reason that everyone's watching this game, and that is the Georgia defense versus the Tennessee offense. This is strength versus strength. This is the best matchup of the year. So if you're going to watch this game at any time, I would highly recommend you turn this game on when Tennessee is on offense and Georgia on defense. Because, I mean, this is strength versus strength. This is the matchup of the year. Tennessee ranks first nationally in yards per game, points per game, total offense. Best uh, offense in the country, bar none. Georgia on defense, second in yards allowed per game, second in points allowed, first in touchdowns allowed. Mind-blowing numbers on both sides of the coin here. But it's not all well and good for Georgia. As we saw earlier in the week, Nolan Smith done for the season with that pectoral injury. And that is a bigger blow than a lot of people are talking about. This is a guy who has a third of all of Georgia's sacks this season. And his absence is going to take a massive weight off of Hendon Hooker and the Tennessee offensive line. Because they not only do they have to fill that hole... But they have to do it quick. They have to do it on a week's notice. And that could be backbreaking. Once again, this is a guy that's getting a third of your total pass rush. Insane numbers around him. He's a first-round NFL prospect. Can't say enough about how good he is and how big of an impact that his injury makes on this game. Now, speaking of Hendon Hooker and the Tennessee offense, their pass game versus the Georgia secondary is going to be so entertaining to watch. I mean, Hendon Hooker's averaging a little over three touchdowns per game so far this season, but Georgia has only allowed five passing touchdowns this year. That is another just mind-blowing stat. You want to hear another one? They're only allowing 14 completions per game to opposing quarterbacks. I mean, they have All-Americans all over the secondary. Chris Smith, Malachi Starks, Kelly Ringo. I mean, I can go on and on with this list of studs in the Georgia secondary. And a big question surrounding them is how are they going to contain Jalen Hyatt, who has proven himself as the nation's best receiver this year. He's got 14 touchdown catches, more than anybody in college football. But the biggest stat when you're looking at him is he's got nine catches of 40 plus yards he is the Tyreek Hill of college football if you will he is the big play threat who can break a game at any moment how do you contain him nobody's been able to do it yet gonna be interesting to see what Kirby Smart and company come up for containing him now, as a whole, I mean, this, ma- this game's matchup of strength versus strength, is what it, that's what makes it truly captivating. That's why we're watching the game. And watching the Tennessee offense work against Georgia's defense is going to be must-see TV. But ultimately, I feel like the, whoever wins this game 
is going to kind of have to require that less heralded unit, that less known side of their team to step up and make a big play. Anyways, classic regional rivalry, national implications. I can't wait. Hopefully it lives up to the hype. Game of the year. Can't wait. Now, moving on to our next feature game of the week. That's going to be number six Alabama at number 10 LSU. Empty backfield from the 34. Daniels scans the field. Going deep. Corner. Caught. Touchdown LSU. Jeray Jenkins. All right. Alabama LSU. Another big game. SEC title implications in this one, and Alabama is going to Death Valley with first place in the SEC West on the line. Because here's the thing about LSU, they got two losses this year, but none of them have come in divisional play, meaning that a win on Saturday would send them to the top of the division and give them a clear path to the SEC title game with a first-year head coach. Wild. On the other end, Alabama is operating with absolutely zero room for error. They have to be conscious of winning this game. They have to be conscious of the manner of which they win this game. Everything's on the line as one loss or one slip-up will end their bid for the playoff. So, jumping into this one, Alabama, a 13.5-point favorite, the over-under at 58.5. Primetime game on ESPN. We're getting Chris Fowler and Kirk Herbstreit, one of the best crews in college football. When you look at LSU on offense, things started out fairly grim. I mean... You know, you lost on the blocked extra point to Florida State. You lost again to uh, Tennessee. You got blown out at home. But since that loss to Tennessee, things have kicked up in a big way. They've scored 40-plus points in their past two wins. And Jaden Daniels has quietly come on. He's quietly found his groove as one of the best quarterbacks in college football over these past couple weeks. I mean, this is a guy who's posting 292 yards that he's responsible for per game. That's one less than Bryce Young. He's also fourth nationally in quarterback rushing, which is another part that Alabama is going to have uh, part of his game that Alabama is going to have to find a way to contain. And this is an Alabama defense that has been reeling ever since their their um, loss at Tennessee. Tennessee exploited a lot of their weaknesses with the routes their receivers ran and the type of offense they ran. And Saban's kind of cover seven man on demand coverage, the bracket system that he's been known for has been less effective against these teams like Tennessee and LSU that have the speedy receivers that beat you over the middle, that beat you down the sideline. So that's that's one thing to look out for in this game because LSU has a chance to take advantage of an Alabama defense that really hasn't looked the same in a couple weeks. So another thing I wanted to touch on with this game is Alabama's defensive splits on the road versus at home. At Bryant-Denny Stadium, they're averaging 7 points allowed per game. On the road, 32 points a game. That is a glaring difference, and it's going to be amplified with 100,000 in Death Valley this weekend. So that is definitely an aspect of this game that you must look out for. And if Alabama wants to win this game, and I said this before, if they want to succeed the rest of the season, they're going to need a wide receiver one to step up and assert himself as the wide receiver one. They've got five guys with over 20 catches on the season. That's all well and good, but they've had nobody step up and kind of take that mantle as the wide receiver one to put them over the top. And that's what every good team in college football has. That's what every top team in college football has. 
You started to see it with Jermaine Burton towards the beginning of the season, towards the middle of the season, but he kind of tailed off. I mean, it's anybody's role. Someone's going to have to step up and do it. Who will it be? You might see him in this game because this is a massive game for both of these teams. Moving on, we have number four Clemson at Notre Dame. Let's do it. Shipley stopped and then lunging for the goal line and gets there. All right. Clemson at Notre Dame. This is a bigger game than a lot of people think for Clemson because we know Clemson's overrated. We know they're overranked. Everybody's saying it. And so now they enter this road showdown badly needing to prove themselves against a top-tier opponent. Or not a top-tier opponent, but a quality one at that. And a decisive win in Notre Dame would go a long way in boosting their playoff resume because it's not looking too strong in the eyes of many right now. It's also a big game for Notre Dame as well because they're sitting right around 500 and a win in this game would set them up good to make a bowl game because they've got a lot of tough games coming up as well. They're playing USC in a couple weeks. Just an absolute gauntlet the rest of the way. So a win at home in this one would be very, very helpful for them in their chase for a bowl game. Now, Clemson is undoubtedly the class of the ACC. Nobody's doubting that. But let's look at what Notre Dame has done to some of the SEC's premier or ACC's premier teams this year. They've had big wins over North Carolina and Syracuse. And again, as we touched on earlier, that's a, t- a Syracuse team that Clemson had their hands full with for about 50 of the 60 minutes in that game. So definitely something to look out for. Notre Dame has found the antidote. They found the formula against ACC teams. Could help them big time in this one. But what how, what goes in Clemson's favor here, their front seven's finally returning to full strength after a plethora of injuries. And they're going to need all the strength they can muster against Notre Dame because the Irish play a physical, physical brand of offense. They've rushed for over 200 yards in four of their last five games, and Audrey Castillo is averaging 5.6 yards per carry this year. It goes both ways, though. I mean, you look at Will Shipley, 172 yards his last time out. These are two teams that like to run the ball. That's why the over-under is sitting at 44. Going to be a good defensive game, but I'm telling you, folks, don't be surprised if the Iris shock a lot of people this week. So, let's move on. All right, folks, it's my favorite time of the week, Game Picks time. So, jumping quickly into our first game of the week, Texas Tech at number 7 TCU. Noon game over on Fox. I love TCU, minus 9.5 in this one. Especially after that scare against West Virginia this week, I do think they stay undefeated. I think they've got something to prove. I think they pour it on Texas Tech. Give me TCU in the over. Looking at Tennessee at Georgia, game of the year, and 3.30 over on CBS. To me, you can't take Georgia minus eight and a half in this one. I mean, biggest game of the year. You really think it's going to be a multi-score win? I don't think so. Tennessee plus eight and a half. Over-under is 66. I wouldn't touch it only because here's the thing about the over-under in this game. If Tennessee wins, the game's going over. If Georgia wins, the game's going under. So it all depends on who you think is going to win, really. But I'm staying away from that over-under 66. Number 6, Alabama. Number 10, LSU. 7 o'clock over on ESPN. I like the Tigers plus 13.5 points, and I like the over 56.5. I think Alabama is going to have to win this one ugly and really establish themselves on the ground with Jameer Gibbs, which is something they haven't done in a couple weeks now. Their run game has struggled. I like LSU plus 13.5. I don't think they're going to lose by two touchdowns. Give me the points in that one. So, number 24, Texas at number 13, Kansas State. 7 o'clock game over on FS1. I like the Wildcats plus three, and I'll tell you why. I mean... Kansas State just blew out Oklahoma State 48-0. 
Who was the last team that Oklahoma State team beat? Texas. Handily. Give me the over 54.5 in that one, too. I think if Kansas State win, loses this one, it's going to push. Uh, Texas is not beating them by a touchdown. Give me Kansas State and the over. Number four, Clemson at Notre Dame. 7.30 over on NBC. Notre Dame plus 3.5 in this one, although it, it's a tricky line. I don't know if I would touch it, but... If I'm betting one way in this game based on the trends of the two teams and how they're both playing, I like Notre Dame, and I like the over 44. I mean, I know they have good defenses, but I think these teams are going to be able to run all over each other. So, Notre Dame in the over in that one. Number 21, Wake Forest at number 22, NC State, 8 o'clock game over on the ACC Network. NC State plus 4.5 is the move in this one, and I like the over 54. I think these teams are going to score a lot more points than people expect. So, that's it for our game picks this week. Moving on to the fan takes. Let's do it. Okay, I'm not going to lie. There's only one fan take that I really wanted to highlight this week because it's something that I personally agree with, and that's that we would benefit from the 12-team playoff this year as a whole. And I completely agree. I think this year, more than ever, there's a lot more parity in college football than in previous years. I mean, it's not just Alabama, Georgia, and everybody else this year. There are 10 teams that I think could legitimately, 8 to 10 teams that could legitimately win a national title this year. I think the top 8 teams in the CFP rankings are all capable, top 9 teams, top 10 teams even, are all capable of making noise in a 12-team playoff, especially on neutral site games. So I think that's a, something that can provoke a lot of good conversation. I love talking about teams' resumes, their their overall body of work throughout the season, the playoff resumes. I love getting to this time of the year because this is where these games in November get meaningful. And you start talking about whose resume is better than who else's or who, whose resume is better than whose. So like I said, I love watching these big games in November, and I think a 12-team playoff would create more of those big games in November because more teams are in the hunt. So, yes, in a year with the parity that we have this year, I think that a 12-team playoff would be amazing. So that's all the time we have for this week, guys. Thank you for joining us on the Student Section Podcast where we talk all things college sports. Once again, today's Friday, November 4th, 22. Big weekend of college football ahead. You can follow us on Instagram at studentsectioncfb or reach us online at thestudentsection.net. Remember, guys, new episode every Friday, and have a good weekend, folks. I will see you next week. Enjoy the college football.